Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN announcer and Arizona Cardinals play-by-play voice, Dave Pash. At Pash Pod, that's how you can check us out on Twitter. Keep up to date on what's going on with the Dave Pash Podcast and also get information on previous podcasts. We are presented by BetMGM, official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Thank you so much for checking us out, for listening to Hall of Famer Kurt Warner and All-Pro Safety Buda Baker on our first two episodes of the Dave Pash Podcast. We've had great response on social media. Got a lot of nice texts and emails from members of the media and in the sports world who have really enjoyed hearing from Kurt and from Buda. And in the near future, we're going to dive into what the national media has to think about the 2021 NFL season. We're also going to have on some guests that go beyond the sports world into the entertainment world. But today we sit down with Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff, of course, in his third year with the Cardinals, his first coaching job in the NFL. It's also one of his first jobs outside the state of Texas. He sat down with me and talked about his Texas roots, what it was like being the son of a football coach, playing at Texas Tech, and ultimately coaching and then getting fired from his alma mater. I got to know Cliff a little bit when he was coaching in college. Working for ESPN and calling college football games for the last two decades, one of the things we do when we come to a university to call a game is we sit down with the coaches and we have a meeting and we get to discuss the team, we get to talk about the players as well as the upcoming game. We sit down with a head coach as well as the offensive and defensive coordinators. And I remember a meeting at one of Kingsbury's stops. In talking with Cliff, it was very clear he was destined for bigger things. Kingsbury has coached some of the most dynamic quarterbacks of the last decade at the college level. That includes Patrick Mahomes, Johnny Manziel, and Baker Mayfield. What was that like? And how do those experiences compare to coaching Kyler Murray? And why all of a sudden, after seemingly endless skeptics proclaiming that the air raid system quarterbacks will never succeed in the NFL, are there now a large number of those guys not only having success, but thriving and getting to a Super Bowl? Cliff dives into his expectations for the 2021 season, the pressure that he faces in a very important year for the team, as well as some of the top new additions to the roster. So here we go. The head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury. Well, Cliff, first of all, man, I really appreciate you doing this. You know, I I always knew, because I wasn't a great athlete, I always knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. So in high school, played a little football, played a little basketball, played golf, could have played D2, but I knew I wanted to go to Syracuse to be a broadcaster. When did you know you wanted to be a football player? Because... I don't think people realize how good of a player you were in high school and then at Tech. I mean, you set a ton of records, school records, conference records, NCAA records. When did you know you wanted to be a football player? Yeah, I was kind of born into it because my dad was a Texas high school football coach, and, and then I was um, born in central Texas, which is, you know, football is a religion. And so I, I, I knew at an early age, um, just going to practices with him, being around the game, that, that I really loved it, you know, fell in love with playing quarterback and kind of rolled with it. Like high school football in Texas, I don't know that people outside the state realize what it's like. 
do you have to play football? Like, if you're an athlete <laughs> and you want to be an athlete, you have to play football? I think mo- most uh, young men, if they're into athletics, get drawn to it just because it's so popular. I mean, yeah. all the girls are going to the games. Everybody's talking about the games. Every news station's covering the games. And so I think naturally you're kind of pushed that way. And um, I grew up in a smaller town which the entire city got behind the team and pulled forward and helped raise us all. So it was, it was a unique, uh, great experience. Did you want to be quarterback right away? Was that the position you always wanted to it play? It was, yeah. I was a huge Joe Montana fan uh, from an early age, and so I fell in love with it at an early age. And then your dad, obviously, being a coach, was that harder? Was he harder on you because you were his son? Definitely, especially playing quarterback in a small town. Um, I think he, he had to show that there was no uh, special privileges being given and even the opposite of that. Yeah. And so my brother and I got it pretty rough uh, from a coaching perspective. But looking back, it was, it was by far the best thing that could ever happen to us. And um, that experience being able to play for him uh, was something I'll always cherish. So you and I are, I think I'm a few years older than you, but obviously the 49ers were, were great when you were growing up. Was that the reason? Montana, they were winning Super Bowls. Yeah, I think so. From an early age, I just followed him. Um, Loved that he was never the biggest, strongest guy, but found a way and and was always so poised in in the big moments. You played other sports. Were you better at any of them than football? My best sport growing up was soccer. Um, But but my dad being a high school football coach, once I got to high school, that (laughs) dream was was struck. But I I loved soccer. I still love soccer today. Um, So I, I played everything. Uh, which was awesome, but uh, always came back to football. Yeah, I can't imagine like having your dad as a high school football coach and tell him, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way. It's like <laughs> trying to decide between being a police officer or a firefighter. If your dad's a police officer, you're not gonna be a firefighter. There's no doubt. You gotta play yeah, football. That, that's how that's how it was gonna go down. So, were you a Spurs fan? Because you grew up outside of San Antonio. Were you a Spurs fan? Were they good when you were growing they, up? They were rolling, yeah. It was like David Robinson, yeah. Tim Duncan era, and so we got to hop on that bandwagon for a while, and that was a lot of fun. And then Popovich, just the way he does something, just the success um, he's had, regardless of who they put in the lineup, is, is something that's fun to watch now that I'm a coach. Have you had a chance to talk to him ever? I haven't. I haven't. I heard great things. I know people that know him, and, and they speak really highly of him. You should reach out. You should get – because he, you know, covering him for – you know, the last 15 years, he's great. He's great with other coaches. Like, he loves talking to coaches. Right, yeah. Because his philosophy isn't just basketball. I mean, the guy reads all the time. Right. He's obviously very up-to-date on politics and everything and food and wine and all that. It's interesting because I remember talking to him a couple years ago about Belichick, who you played for, and I want to get to that in a second, but they've never met, or at least until two years ago they had not met. He had read Bill's book. Right but they had never met. And you would think those two guys. No doubt. They definitely, from afar, seem like they would have a lot in common, philosophically yeah. speaking. Yeah. My favorite Popovich story, I don't know if you're like a wine guy, but obviously Pop is. And I don't know how much ESPN, NBA you're watching, but a lot of times we don't have a reporter, so the play-by-play or the analyst has to get up and go do the interview. And I don't know if you've ever seen him do. Oh, yeah. He'll leave yeah. him standing there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like I've had many a time where. He doesn't give a good answer. Now, he's great like in the production meeting ahead of time and everything, but he hates, which I understand, it's in the middle of a game. In game, right. The last thing you want to do is probably talk to the announcer. But it's like just two questions. So anyway, this is like two years ago, I think, doing a game with Doris Burke, and we go in there and we say, okay, I'm not doing this. Doris is doing it, but I told her I would buy her a bottle of wine. Pop goes, I get to pick. So all right, that's fine. So anyway, she does the interview, and before it, this was not on TV, he goes, this is for the wine. You know, but anyway, I get a voicemail from him the next week, like 
maybe it's two minutes long. I still kept it on my phone because it's hilarious. He's like naming all these wines, which I knew they were, but he's like spelling them out like I've never heard of them or anything. And so I text him when I, it was maybe two months later, like, hey, tonight's the night. We're having the wine. Here's the wine I picked. Text me right back. Awesome. Great choice. Let me know how it is. So we have the wine. We take a picture, me, Doris, our producer, director, and they're playing that night. They're playing the Suns, and we were in Portland doing a game the next night. So I'm trying to think, should I text him? Like, they're playing the night, and they're like, yeah, just text him the picture, whatever. I'm like, okay, I text it. You know how it doesn't say delivered. Uh-huh. So uh, he's in the game, you know, whatever. Um, I keep looking. No, I didn't go through, didn't go through. And then we're at dinner, and somebody says, hey, uh, you might want to check ESPN.com. Okay. Uh, they, they got beat by the Suns, and he went off in the postgame on the media. I'm like, oh, my goodness. The timing. <laughs> yeah. First thing he's going to see is uh, this picture of us with the, with the wine. I'm telling Quinn Snyder the story the next night. He's got his hands in his head like this. <laughs> so I called PJ Carlissimo. who was really close with him and said, is Pop going to kill me? The next time I see him, he says, no. He probably made his night. He never said a word about it. So Yeah. Um, but uh, I would not want to get on the wrong side of no. <laughs> that's for sure. But he's great with with coaches, and I think uh, you know just his history. One thing about him and Bill, and obviously you played for Bill, so you can speak more to this than I can. They're hard on the star players. Uh, is that did you notice that the time that you were in New England? Oh, no question. Then? I mean, Brady got it probably worse than than anybody, and and obviously he had a bunch of plays, but that bad ball tape. He would he would show up on it and and it was no holds barred on him and I think guys you know did appreciate that that they knew hey everybody's gonna be treated the same way and um, I know it helped Tom during his career and you know he's talked about that. Did you have any specific experience you remember from your time with with Coach Belichick? Yeah, I think more than anything, just his attention to to detail was second to none. I mean, he would ask questions. You're in preseason game and he'd be asking, hey who where's the third string nickel from? Where did he go to college? You know, and he expected that type of um, study habits and research on everything you did. And I, I think that just shows in, in the way his teams are so prepared week in and week out. Tom was already established at that point, but he wasn't who he is now. Right. Did you see it? I mean, could you tell, like, this guy is going to be one of the all-time greats? Yeah, you could. Um, it's funny because – the year I got there, we started off two and two, and everybody was like, they hadn't made the playoffs the year before, and everybody was saying, "Oh, Tom was a flash in a pan." You know, the Boston media can be a little rough, oh, this yeah. and the other. And then, you know, the Patriots ride off fifteen straight, and then go on and make this epic run. But uh, there was no doubt the way, his work ethic. I mean, he he's completely obsessed with being the best ever. Every waking moment is spent trying to accomplish that goal, and, and just watching him practice the way he carries himself, the way he leads, the way he directs. I mean, it, it's phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. I wonder, because of how good you were in college, forever it seemed like guys that played in the air raid system were dismissed in the NFL. And then the last few years now, I don't know if Baker was like the first, but it seems now that you've got all these guys coming from the air raid. Do you think, like if you were coming out now, would you have been a higher draft pick and still be playing? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think I definitely had my opportunities and probably didn't didn't make the most of them. But it, it has been fun to see. Being a guy who was on the front end of that with all that skepticism, and then, you know, my first year in coaching, getting to work with Case Keenum, who yeah. broke every passing rank ever, has made a ton of money in the NFL, has been a starter. Um, to see him be able to kind of break that barrier, being a smaller guy who played in a, a spread system, and then watch the other guys that you mentioned, Baker and Patrick come through and Kyler and Deshaun. I mean, all these guys that, that have played in these wide open spread offenses, it, it's fun to watch. I mean, you coach so many of them. You mentioned Baker. You coach Baker. Didn't you start him as a walk-on, right? Yeah, he was the first – 
true freshman walk-on quarterback to ever start a Power 5 game. And he had come in, and he wasn't even there in the spring. He came in in the summer and just, as you see now, just had that moxie, had that confidence, and, and just took it and ran. And, and he was a lot of fun to work with. What was it like going from him well, I guess before him it would have been Johnny. Yeah. What was that like? Because you got another guy who had a lot of moxie. Guys rallied around him. He won games because of how, you know, the special playmaking and his leadership. It it was incredible. I mean, you have some familiarity with Texas A and M and their passion for football down there, and and to watch this young man from Central Texas who's undersized and scrappy and, and doing things on the field that nobody had really seen to that point um, was phenomenal. The ultimate gamer, ultimate competitor. I mean, he, he didn't always grind during the week, but on Saturday <laughs> his teammates knew he would he would run through a wall for him. And, and yeah. to watch those guys rally around him um, and to be a part of that their first year in the SEC, it, it was um, an unbelievable experience. When you got into coaching, did you do it to become a head coach or was it just, look, you know, my dad did this, I love football, I want to stay in the game? Really, I, I had um, no plans to get into coaching. I think having grown up a coach's son, you see the long hours, you see how much is put into it. Um, you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do something. I make a ton of money and um, <laughs> do something else. And, and somehow the game brought me back to it. I, I've started at University of Houston as quality control, just as kind of a part-time, let's see if I like it, and just fell in love with being around the guys again. I didn't realize how much I'd missed it until I got back around them and just tried to work hard every day and, and took it from there. But there was never any big aspiration growing up, like, hey, I wanted to be a head yeah. coach. It just kind of took it around. So after playing, what did you think you wanted to do? I wanted to maybe do real estate. You know, I got my degree in business management, just trying to make a bunch of money somehow and didn't work out uh, on that end. And I, I tried to play for a long time. I played in Canada. Yeah. I played in Europe. I mean, I played every league imaginable and kind of chased that dream till the end. And then, um, like I said, it just kind of brought me back to football. I remember, I'm pretty sure I had you at one point at Houston, but I definitely remember the year at A&M. And I was working with Brian Greasy at the time. And, you know, a lot of times the production meetings with TV for the assistant coaches, it's an opportunity to kind of get their name out there. And, right. you, you know, a lot of times we walk out of there like, that guy's a head coach. And you were one, and it was, you know, the year that Johnny had right. the incredible year. We did, I think, the LSU game, which I think you lost, yep. and he didn't play well. Right. but. It was the one game he didn't play well yeah. all year. But I remember coming out of that meeting and Greece and I were both like, man, that guy's impressive. Um, so was it something, do you think, because of your playing, because of, I don't know, maybe your time with Tom at all, uh, some, and then also just, you know, your upbringing, that it was easy for you to make the transition to coaching? Definitely. I, I think along the way, when I mean, you always look back, I'm, I'm a big everything happens for a reason type guy and, and to be drafted to the New England Patriots first to get to play for my dad to get played for Spike Dykes then Mike Leach who's one of the most innovative coaches of all time does it his own way get drafted by Bill Belichick the greatest NFL coach ever see how Tom Brady works I mean all these things kind of lined up for me to circle back and, and be a coach and, and really get my PhD in coaching if you will and, and I, I've always felt it it kind of played out that way and I've just been very blessed on, on that path. It's funny you mentioned Mike Leach because a lot of people see you know, his press conferences, and they think, man, this guy's nuts. But the guy's brilliant. Yes, he's a genius. He, he really is. He's a genius personality. His mind works on a different level that I don't think most of us can comprehend. And he can be thinking about all the football plays on one hand and all the historical facts yeah. of pirates and the French Revolution <laughs> on the other. And not many people can handle that capacity, but, but he can do it. Does he have a playbook, or is it just in his head? 
it's just in his head, really. I mean, um, he would like you to kind of write things out at times, and I think he felt that that helped you memorize it. But yeah, I mean, he can call it off the top of his head, inside and out. And I don't, I don't think he's gotten the credit he probably deserves because maybe some of the quirkiness, but the impact he's had on football in general and at all levels, whether it's high school or, or college or pro football. I mean, there's a lot of things that that he's brought to the the forefront of you know the passing game. You get the head coaching job there where you played. You obviously knew the pressure and the expectation getting it. It's not the easiest place to win. You know, the year that Graham and Crabtree were there was, you know, a magical year. But, you know, it's not the easiest place to recruit. It's hard, you know, especially uh, with Texas and and A&M. Did you know what you were getting into? I I did. I did. I I just have such a passion for that place. Just got to know how much it gave me as a young man really grew me up as a man. And coming out of A&M, the year we had there, you know, there would have been opportunities down the road. Johnny was coming back, Mike Evans, all these guys, and I knew that. But I just had such a passion for that place, and still do. Um, and so knew it was the right thing for me to do. And unfortunately, we didn't win enough games there. But the people, the players, all those things, I wouldn't trade one one minute of it. Remember doing a game? You guys were playing Baylor at AT and T Stadium, and I think Davis Webb. I, I think Pat Mahomes might have been hurt. I can't remember. Davis Webb started, but Mahomes played. I my memory's not great on that. But I mean, when Mahomes played, like you could see it. For us, we could see like, right. oh my goodness, this, this is like unbelievable. Right. I've never seen this stuff before. <laughs> when did you know with Patrick Mahomes? When were you recruiting him? I mean, could you see it? Like this is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I had heard. So we had an O line coach when I was at Texas A and M, who's from East Texas, and he told stories about the Pat Mahomes Sr., just a legendary athlete and all these things. And so he had turned me on to, to little Patrick. And I had watched him some, and you could see he was super raw like his junior year. And it wasn't until I started really following closely, getting to know the kid, and went and watched the game, I think early in his senior year. And he had seven touchdowns in the first half, something crazy. And I'm like, we have got to get this guy. <laughs> like, this is it. I hope nobody else – figures it out um but he he was just so good at anything he did whether it was basketball baseball football and football was really probably his third sport all through high school and and I knew if he focused on football the sky would be the limit and and it's been been fun to watch and how it's turned out I I don't think you get enough credit for helping him in his development people talk about how great he is but I mean you were you were the guy you were with him that time and obviously with Case's success you talked about Johnny Menzel you know, I, I feel like you haven't gotten the credit you deserve. I know you're not going to take the credit, so I'll, I'll do it for you. What was the biggest thing for him, like when you're working with him and helping him become more than just a, a thrower and a ridiculous talent? Yeah, the, the first thing was I didn't want to corral him in too much because a lot of like the playmaking and dropping his elbow down and throwing off platform, that's what made him special. And so we kind of just let him play. We tried to tighten up some things. You know, teach him as many fundamental things and football X's and O's as we wanted, but we wanted him to play his game. And I think that's the beauty of what Andy's done as well as well at, at KC is he hasn't tried to make him something that he's not. He's let him play his game, and the, they've been wildly successful, obviously. I'm curious how much you were talking to him his rookie year when he was sitting. I shouldn't say sitting because in practice, like I had a couple guys I knew on that staff that said, oh my, when, when Alex right. Smith, whenever it's over, like this kid is. Right a freak right what was he just kind of biding his time because he seems like such an easygoing good dude like he wasn't he, he wanted to be the guy but he knew Alex had to finish it out and whenever that time came he would he would step in no doubt 
one of the most respectful, um, self-aware young men you'll ever meet. And, and I think that's why all his teammates and all his coaches love him so much. It's because he gets it. Um, he still can be one of the guys and, and be a great leader at the same time. But it was kind of the same way at Texas Tech. I think as soon as he got there, he felt like he should be starting, but he never complained, never worried about it. He just kept working until he had his opportunity. So now you have Kyler. Did you think you had a shot at Kyler in high school? I'm assuming no, given you know the guy was recruited by everybody. Started A and M, obviously ended up at Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I I knew I had a small small shot, and we tried really hard. Um, but he had close ties to A and M, and that was a great situation for him to go into. But um, I was definitely gonna gonna shoot my shot because I'd never seen anything like him at the high school level. Oh, even even more so than Mahomes in terms of just the yeah. Sport. I think just because he was probably farther along developmentally, having grown up really playing the position where Pat it was kind of his third sport, and you know the three most impressive high school highlight films I've ever seen: Johnny Manziel, Patrick Mahomes, and and Kyler Murray. And um, I, I the way he moved and and the way he could use his feet and create things, and then being undefeated as a starter in high school at the biggest level was just like, hey, we got We got to try. One thing that I noticed the first camp he was here and, and your first was how much he knew the offense, and he's telling Larry Fitzgerald where to line up. I'd never seen that in the NFL before. How much of, like, initially the communication between the two of you was, hey, terminology, what are you comfortable with, and how much of it was, hey, this is what I want to do, you need to adapt? Yeah, that was a lot of it. Um, I wanted to build it around him, and I knew a little bit. I know Lincoln and, and knew um, that there were some similarities in terminology and things like that, but I wanted to, hey, if you called it this at OU and this allows you to come in and play right away and play at a high level, let's do it. And, and I think in this day and age in the NFL, you don't get much time. So if, if you want to try and bring him in, develop him for three or four years, good luck. And so we wanted to be able to get him on the field. <laughs> play at a high level as quick as possible and really build it around him. And, and we're still doing that. I think we're still tweaking things to try and figure out um, just what works best for us as an offense and him as a player. And uh, hopefully year three is kind of the year that we take that, that next big step. Any great competitor hates losing. He clearly hates losing. He never lost. Right. And, you know, you get in the NFL, you lose five games, you still could be the best team in the league. Right. So, you know, that first year it doesn't start well. Uh, obviously, last year started well and didn't end great. How, how have you seen him grow and develop in terms of handling the losses, knowing that it's hard to go sixteen and zero, even fourteen and two, twelve and four? It's definitely been a process. I mean, you're talking about a young man who barely had bad halves of football, right? right. And yeah. Now you're having right. if you have a rough start, things like that. I mean, that that's an adjustment on your mental process, your mental toughness, and that those are learned things that, that only come with experience. And and I, I do think watching him year one, didn't even have an off season last year, which is tough on any quarterback trying to develop, to come in and really take a big step. Just the things I've seen, it's all moving in the right direction. We gotta continue to work hard and, and he knows how good I think he can be and, and we'll all push all in this year and see where it goes. How much of an adjustment is it for you when you go from someone like a Case Keenum to Johnny Football to Baker to Pat Mahomes to Kyler? I mean, they're all different in their own way. What kind of an adjustment is it for a quarterback coach to try to 
figure out that guy. I've always felt it's it's my job to to maximize who they are as a player, not who Johnny was or Case or what they did well, but but what do they do well, and let's build that around them. And so it takes time. Sometimes you don't click as early as you like, but um, the key is really communication and, and figuring out, hey, this guy does this really well, he likes this, and make sure you're tailoring your offense to him and not trying to fit you know, a, a square in a round hole. What do you think is the next step for him, for Kyler, this year? I mean, I, I, I've always said I think we're just scratching the surface with what he can do as far as dynamic as a runner, tremendous thrower, and, and I think it's, it's on all of us, him included, just to figure out, you know, what are we best at as an offense and then, and then really push all in towards that. And I think we, Steve's done some great things um, personnel-wise, bringing some, some really veteran leadership in here that's going to help us build it the way we want. But his, his ceiling is, is um, as high as anybody in the league, and, and, you know, it's our job to help him get there. A lot of people said when he came into the league, oh, he's, he's too small, he's going to get killed. He, he seems to have... He's very smart about when to get down, when to get out of bounds. He's going to get hit. It's going to happen. Is it something like, are you, when you're calling plays, how much are you thinking about, okay, I got to minimize the shots? You know, if he gets sacked, like, Am I not going to run him the next play? How much are you kind of thinking about that over the course of a game? There's definitely that that thought process. I mean, we're going to be smart. We're going to make sure he's comfortable with things we do, and we're not going to put him in harm's way, um, you know, as as little as possible, really. But he's always been the smallest guy on the field, and that's what I tell people. He has this innate sense because he's always had to play that way to protect himself and find the soft spot and know when to get down that he he's one of the best I've ever seen at doing that and avoiding the big hit. So you're in the NFL. you got Matt Rule, came from Baylor, and now Urban – who is with Jacksonville. And, you know, the one year that uh, that Urban was out of coaching, uh, he was my partner. So 2011, after Florida and before Ohio State, we were working together. And I don't know if it's like this when you're, you know, with a coach that you work with and you're recruiting with or in the NFL, you know, you're grinding with. But in our business, grinding, you're not grinding. I mean, you're calling games right. and hanging out and going to dinner. But right. still, you're with each other two, three days a week, every week for four months. So we get pretty close and – I was talking to him a little bit during the Texas stuff, and obviously he could have the Texas job. And then when Jacksonville came available, and I think one of the things in talking with him, the NIL stuff was a concern. Like if I go back, you know, it's not just, I'm not just recruiting parents. Now it's, I got to worry about what else does he want? And at what point, you know, are you recruiting the agent with the NIL stuff? Do you think more college coaches are going to try to get to the NFL because of that? I do. I do. I think between that and the transfer portal stuff going on, I mean, that, that's a tough dynamic to try and um, navigate. And so I, I think you're going to see a, a push. And it's, it's hard, obviously hard to get in this league yeah. with everybody vying to do it. But the recruiting aspect has become year round. It's become really challenging for those guys. My, my hat's off to them. I mean, they basically have twice the, the workload based upon, hey, when you get done with your football stuff, you're going home and you're tweeting and you're texting and you're communicating with with young men to try and get them to come to your program um so it's it's a real challenge and and i i think you're going to see some guys probably try to make that move do you miss the recruit i i know as when you were recruiting players you get close to them you get close to their families the nfl is a little different obviously it's i mean both are a business but this is the other's not you know called a business but it is so is that something you miss the recruiting aspect i, I think more than parts of it i'm sure parts, parts you don't yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but the biggest part to me is that you're taking them from their parents' home 
you know you're gonna have them four to five years or used to before this transfer deal got crazy and and you're really having a huge impact on their development as a man and I, I think that's that's a big deal these guys here are highly motivated incredible humans that are here for that reason and, and so they don't need a lot of help navigating right. um, some off the field stuff but those young people they're looking at you for directions guidance and you can really build some some lifelong bonds with them and so that, that's a part that um, I do miss the dynamic then of going from college to the NFL where that's different where you're coming in you got guys who you know they're not majoring in finance they're out there to kill somebody so they can feed right. their family uh, you know, what was the dynamic like for you adjusting to, okay, the relationship with the player is different in college than it is in the NFL, right. and how do you, how did you adjust and kind of learn the ropes? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched and observed a lot. I, I'm, I'm a guy who wants to kind of see it first before I, I dive in, and um, the guys have been great. The biggest thing is there is no poking or prodding. Everybody's incredibly motivated where in college, you know, may have to wake a kid up, misses weights, <laughs> misses meals. I mean, that's not happening. And and so I, I really enjoyed that part of it and the competitive nature of, of every day. I mean, whatever drill you do, Larry told me, like, one of the first days we were trying to do a walkthrough in cleats and it turned into, like, an all-out, you know, 11-on-11 11 11 football game. <laughs> He's like, Coach, if you put grown men in cleats anywhere and they're practicing for money, this is what's going to happen. And so I learned that lesson quick. It's just the competitive nature of any drill, anything you ask them to do is just through the roof. Who are some of the other coaches that you lean on that you talk to? I don't know how many you're talking during the week, but you know, over the course of a season or in the off season, who are some of the guys you lean on? Yeah, I mean, Dana Holgerson's the guy um, that really got me into coaching along with Kevin Sumlin, uh, my dad, obviously, and then Sean McVay is somebody who's been great to me, and we're in the same division, which which is tough, but, um, you know, he's been in it a, a little bit longer than me, particularly as an assistant coach, and he, he's been a real, really positive resource for me. What's Sean like? Because, like, I did watch the, the and listen to the podcast with you and Schrager, and I thought it was hilarious. Right. Uh, he he just seems like I mean obviously the guy is brilliant. Yes, yes. as a football coach, what what type of guy is he? he he's awesome, man's man. Um, I mean, you could sit there and just listen to stories all day. Very very friendly, kind to people. Um, I really can't say enough good things. Yeah. But but you know, first and foremost, he's kind of a football savant. I mean, he'll talk about plays, and I'm like, how on earth do you remember that? I don't remember what we you know, ate yesterday for dinner and he's naming off play after play and this and that. So he's, he's as dialed in as, as any coach I've ever been around. How do you balance? Cause it seems like he's kind of figured out the balance of, okay, I'm, a, I'm an offensive guy. It's what I do, but I'm the head coach and I've got to know what the defense is thinking and special teams and all that. How, how is that? And I don't know what it was like for you at Texas Tech in that regard, but how has that changed? Maybe even over the course of your time here with the Cardinals? Yeah, I think as you, as you get the offense in, you get more comfortable you, we've had our assistant coaches in place and now going in year three, then that all starts to where you can, hey, I can lean a little bit more in here, lean a little bit more here. And Sean has done a great job. I thought last year um, some of the changes he made defensively and what they were able to do um, with that defense was awesome. And I know he had a huge hand in that. So for 2021, the expectations after the way things ended last year, you know, obviously some of that was out of your control. You lose your best player to injury in the Rams game in a must-win game. Kyler gets hurt. So in your mind, when you come into this season, what are your expectations? Like I mentioned earlier, I think Steve's done a tremendous job of bringing in some real veteran leadership, and, and that was an area that cost us some games last year due to lack of you know discipline, which starts with me, and, and um, we all have to be more accountable on that front. You know, We had some tough penalties. I think we led the league in – uh, offensive drives stalled by penalty, and I, I think we led the league in defensively um, 
allowing drives to continue based upon either pass interference or holding. And that's right. just something, if you want to take that next step and be a playoff football team, you can't do that. And we recognize that. We wanted to bring in some veteran leaders that could help us really monitor things and, and um, you know, practice at a discipline, uh, high effort level every day. Look, I know you have to say it starts with you, but obviously, look, the players ultimately, especially in the NFL, when it comes to penalties and that kind of stuff, I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to them. They, they, they can't do that. You know, because you, it's not like you're not working on stuff during the week. It's not like it's not talked about. So you mentioned leadership and how that can impact things. Where, where specifically do you think? Is it in the huddle, you know, after a big mistake where a guy says something? Like, where, where do you think it stands out? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I think it starts, you know, in the locker room. I think it's kind of how you do um, one thing is how you do everything. And so guys handling their business there. You know, if you're supposed to be in the training room at a certain time, doing it. If you're supposed to be on time to a meeting, doing it. And then at practice, just not allowing that to happen, right? You don't grab a guy, don't hold a guy, don't have a pre-snap penalty. And and those guys monitor that way better than any of the coaches can. I'm sure, you know, you knew what you were getting into when you took the head coaching job in the NFL that, look, if you win, you can write your own ticket for a long time. If you don't, you know, the pressure is going to be on. And I'm sure you've heard, you know, people talk about how important this year is for, for everybody in the organization. You know, how much do you think about that? Does that motivate you at all? Or is it just something you're like, you know what, people are going to write what they're going to write. They're going to say what they're going to say. I know what I'm capable of. I would say the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is getting fired at Texas Tech. Because basically from about year two on, year three on, I mean, it was every year it was the same situation. And if you get fired from a place that you're passionate about, you have all your friends, all these ties there, I mean, that that's a real baptism of by fire. And, and so after going through that experience, I just kind of refocus myself, and, and I know what's important, I know what to focus on, and, and that's what I do. And my job is to maximize these players and, and try to put the best team on the field that's possible, and that's what we're going to continue to try and do. Look, I, I'm not asking you to get into you know X's and O's for this year and tell you know the fans you know how things are going to be different. But you know, is there anything in terms of a tease maybe that you know we can look for and how things could be different offensively for the Cardinals? I, I think a, a big addition that um, hasn't been made too much of a big deal about is AJ Green. I, I think the situation he was in there in Cincy and some of the things that that had happened. He's kind of gone under the radar, but he's a big-time player, and, and we've really enjoyed having him so far. And I think that addition with Hop on the outside, um, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, I mean, you got some real weapons that we're going to be able to hopefully um, continue to expand the passing game and, and do some fun stuff with. I know AJ's older, but you know, at one time, I mean, you got two guys on your roster that at one time could have been considered the best player at their position. So, I mean, A.J. Green for a long time was elite, and he's a freak, and he's tall, and he can bend and all that. Um, how about the run game? You bring in James Conner. You have guys back that have been on the team. But how do you think the run game might look different? I think uh, one of the biggest signings we had um, was Rodney Hudson. You know, getting a Pro Bowl, All-Pro center uh, with with kind of a, a young quarterback pairing him up I think it's going to be huge brought in Brian Winters as well uh, Josh Jones is a, is a young man who's developed that we're excited to see where he fits in the mix and um, so I think it starts with those guys and, and Chase everybody's seen when he's had his opportunities he's done great and, and he's got to stay healthy but we expect him to to have a huge role and James Conner uh, is a bigger back brings a physical presence and, and so we really see those guys being a great one-two punch. 
What about defensively? Anything that stands out to you just when you look at the roster and think about the possibilities for this year? Bringing J.J. was huge. Uh, Jordan, a healthy Jordan Phillips is something we're all hopeful for. I mean, he, he's an impact guy. You look back at the games he played in, and he, he was, was huge for us. Chandler Jones is an impact guy that um, everybody's very familiar with. Uh, I think bringing in Malcolm Butler, getting Robert Alford healthy, I mean, these are established veteran players that have been really successful in the league and bring a lot of great leadership. You know, you mentioned J.J. We'll wrap up here in a sec, but I do, do want to get your thoughts on J.J. because – I remember doing his games at Wisconsin, and you know he had just gotten there from Central Michigan. He wasn't the J.J. Watt he is now in terms of how big he is, but you could see the playmaking, and I think he won Defensive Player of the Year that, that last season there at Wisconsin. And O'Brien Schofield was actually a Cardinal at that time, and they played together the year before, and O'Brien was getting all the, all the pub, but I remember going in and talking to the Wisconsin coaches, and they're like, oh, uh, O'Brien was good, but this kid's this like guy, different. Yeah. When you watch him – and when you talk to him, what, what makes him special? There's a certain level of intensity that he has. I mean, when he walks into any room in that building, I think everybody kind of stand up a little bit straighter, <laughs> whether it's the weight room, meeting rooms. I remember hopping on the first Zoom team meeting we had this offseason, and he's you know staring at you, writing down every word. And so he just he brings it every day, and, and guys feel that. And, and so I can't wait to get him out on the practice field and really get it going. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate the time. I'm a big fan, always been, and I, I hope you guys have a great year, man. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks right, for having Cliff. me. Thanks, man. That interview was recorded a few weeks ago, and his comment about A.J. Green was before we even got to see Green at a training camp practice, where it became very clear why Cliff said what he said. Green looks like he can still play at an extremely high level. I thought his comments on the penalties and accountability were very interesting as well as how the locker room reacts when J.J. Watt walks into the room. One thing I've always appreciated about Cliff is his humility and his willingness to admit he doesn't know it all. For him to say that getting fired at Texas Tech was one of the best things that has happened to him in terms of understanding the big picture of coaching, dealing with pressure and expectations, was another example of the clarity with which Kingsbury sees his job. We are releasing two Dave Pash podcasts this week. Coming up, ESPN groundbreaking NFL analyst Mina Kimes. She will discuss her time as a high school student in Arizona and, of course, break down the 2021 season and give her predictions for the NFC West. Future guests include, speaking of ESPN, two members of the Monday Night Football team, Steve Levy and Brian Greasy. Arizona Cardinals owner Michael Bidwill will join us. A couple of my broadcast partners expected to join us, Cardinals analyst Ron Wolfley and Bill Walton. We'll also head outside of the football world and talk to a couple of members of the entertainment world, including comedian Frank Caliendo. A reminder that we are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can keep up to date on the Dave Pash Podcast by following us on Twitter, at PashPod. Thanks again for listening to Episode 3 of the Dave Pash Podcast with Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Talk to you soon.